Welcome to Modern Day Missionaries, a podcast by Modern Day Missions created for missionaries by missionaries. I'm your host, Stephanie Gutierrez. Today we take a deep look at personal loss and how we can walk through it with grace, strength, and compassion. Dirk Smith, Vice President of Eastern European Mission, shares his very personal story of losing his wife to ALS this year. Dirk's story is honest, and it's also filled with hope. He shares real and helpful ways missionaries and anyone can navigate loss well and trust that this is not the end of our stories, but is the beginning of something new. Welcome to this episode of the Modern Day Missionaries podcast. Today, we are so glad to have with us Dirk Smith. Dirk is the Vice President of Eastern European Mission, and at EEM, Dirk oversees fundraising and marketing efforts, as well as assists with U.S. operations, and he loves sharing the stories of what God is doing through the ministry of EEM. I've gotten to hear a few of those stories and really have enjoyed it. It's fascinating, all the amazing work that you guys are able to do over there, Dirk. Thanks, Stephanie. It's good to be with you. Thanks for, yeah, so thanks for having me. So good to have you. A little bit more about Dirk. He has an MBA with a focus on organizational development and ethics and has worked in the business world for a number of years as well. And Dirk was married to his beautiful wife, Wendy, for 34 years, and she went home to be with the Lord this past January. And he is also the dad to three adult children. And so in today's episode, we're going to be getting very personal and talk about walking through loss while serving in ministry. And Normally, as all of you listeners know, I'll, I'll usually ask some questions in the beginning to let you get to know the guest, but we're going to be diving pretty deeply into Dirk's story today. So you're going to get to know him well. And Dirk, I just want to say thank you for being willing to talk about something so personal and vulnerable with us today. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. It's To me, Stephanie, it's just life. And, yeah. You know, as, as Jesus tells us, in this life, you're going to have struggles. There's going to be struggles. So... But the great news is he doesn't stop there. And he says, yeah. hey, I've overcome the world, so take courage. It's so uh, true. It's, and that's what I really loved is you and I have spoken on this, is you have an approach that is that is very vulnerable, that is very honest, but that's always uh, hope-filled whenever you've talked about this as well. And I feel like it's going to be an encouragement to people who um, have walked through or who are walking through really difficult things. Um, and before we, we get there, I'd love to hear a little bit, Dirk, about how you got involved with missions, where your missions journey started. Mm, yeah, that's an interesting question. Yeah, so as you mentioned, uh, my background is not, I don't have a theology degree, never thought I'd be even in nonprofit work. Um, I've got an MBA, and uh, so I worked for about 11 years in healthcare consulting and then management consulting back up in the, I'm from the Northeast part of the US. I I'm, I'm, was born in Philadelphia, grew up in South Jersey. So kind of went back up there and was working in and out of New York and Philadelphia with a management consulting firm when my alma mater, which was a, or which is a faith-based university, called and said, hey, we need help raising money. And I thought, you know, I think I'd rather run razor blades up my fingernails. Who in their right <laughs> mind wants to do that? And um, my wife and I at the time, and I was, I was struggling at the time, just really praying and talking to her and saying, I, you know, I don't know what I want to do, but I just don't know if when I'm 85 or whenever God chooses to call me home, I want to look back at my life and say, I made a lot of people a lot of money because that's what I was doing. I mean, I was making millionaires. And so I'll never forget, she said, as I was dealing with this epiphany happening in my life, she said, you don't want to preach, do you? 
And I said, no. And she said, well, that's good because I was going to tell you I would miss you. And I said, no, I'm not. I don't want to preach. So anyway, we prayed about it a bunch and I finally did. I went back to my alma mater and as a major gifts officer. So that was my entree kind of into nonprofit. Uh, I call it my seven years in the desert because they didn't really want to do anything right in the way of fundraising. But it really opened my eyes to nonprofit and then EEM, you know, about the time I just, I was realizing I got to go, I got to do something else. EEM came along and I, I was really wavering. I was deciding I had a great offer from a for-profit equity position with a for-profit company, which if I, <laughs> I jokingly say, if I had taken that, I would be EEM's largest donor today, but EEM. And it was really my daughter who is now 31. She came down and I was really struggling with those two decisions. And she said, Hey, mom says you, you're trying to decide between two opportunities. Do you mind if I know what they are? I said, sure. So I told her EEM providing Bibles to people who've never had one in their language, you know, um, in, you know, 30 plus countries, 20 plus languages, all free or this lots of money, lots and lots of money to be made. And she looked at me, she said, I don't get it. And I thought, okay, you're 19 years old. I think you're pretty smart. So I kind of did the cliff notes again. She said, no, 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 no. She stopped me. She said, no, I understand. She said, dad, I just don't understand why this is a decision. My entire life, I get up in the morning and you've been up reading your Bible. I see it next to your chair. And you've always told us you can read other books. That's great. You need to read. But if you're not reading the Bible, don't read the other books because everything must go through that filter. She said, and now... I mean, you've hammered that into us, and now you have the opportunity to provide Bibles to people in their language who have never had one before, and they're asking for them? She said, I don't get it. She turned around. She walked upstairs, and I can remember sitting there in my, in my office and looking up to God and saying, okay, I hear you. Wow. So I called, so I called EEM and took the job. It was 12 years ago. And, uh, and it's been great. You know, it's for the first time I don't have a job. And, you know, and we do, we, we are a wholesaler for all the retailers. So anybody that's doing evangelistic work, we are the provider of Bibles, Bible-based materials. I mean, really majority Bibles, 90, 96% of our funds go towards Bibles. Last year we distributed uh, right at 2 million books in 35 different countries, 26 different languages. So, so that's kind of, I kind of got into it. Kicking and screaming, but God, but it's, it, it honestly, you can, you know, and Stephanie, you're, you're this way. We all are. If, if we're introspective, we look back on our lives and we can see a, how God has always been with us, never let us down, but also how he's prepared us. So now today, I mean, the operations thing I had down, I had done business consulting for all these years, but he needed me to get into fundraising to understand that aspect. So he gives me that time and he, gave me the best mentor anybody could ever have, which was another part of the God story. I had the mentor, Dr. Bob Walker, who was senior vice president of development at Texas A&M, led A&M through their first billion dollar campaign, served as my mentor for 18 years and until he passed away just last year. And uh, just a godly man, just a great man. But I got that piece and then you put the operations together, which is what I do today. And I get to do both. And it's a lot of fun. It's, it's yeah. just, it's, it's, and as I tell people, this is, this is God's mission and ministry that we call EEM. 
because it's not about us. It really is not about us. Mm. And you get to work hand in hand with missionaries. So that was another fun thing when we were talking. I know for you oh, to get yeah. to speak to this crowd uh, is a joy because this is your day in and out. And I, I don't want to forget, too, you had mentioned to me that you you as an organization get Bibles in the hands of missionaries so that they don't have to bring them over. Can you speak on that real quickly? Because this applies to any missionary listening. I mean, we'll, we're going to talk about grief and loss and all that as well, but they can get Bibles through EEM. How would they go about doing that? Yeah, know, there's only certain countries that we work in, but I mean, last year, 30, 35 countries. So we started in the former communist bloc nations. So Russia, Ukraine, Romania, Croatia, Serbia, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but we do, we do Bibles in Farsi and Arabic, working some in Turkey now. So yeah, if they're, if they're a missionary, our only requirement is, A, it's not sold. You don't sell the Bible. It's free. We're giving it to you free, so you give it away free. Two, it doesn't go in a drawer or on a shelf. It's going to somebody. It's, mm-hmm. it's being used for evangelistic purposes. But yeah, if they are interested, they can go to our our European website, eemeurope.org. Again, provided they're over there, we don't produce any books in the U.S. So if your listeners in the U.S., I can't get you any any of those languages here in the U.S. because we'd have to ship them over and honestly it'd be cheaper to just go on Amazon and buy one. But for us, we can produce them and we believe in creating economy. So like when we're distributing in Ukraine, we're printing in Ukraine. We're putting their people to work. We do the same thing, Serbia, all around. And again, that's... I mean, all in for us. We, can, if somebody gives me five dollars, that's a Bible out the door, in in somebody's hands. So, um, but yeah, if if your listeners, the missionaries that are out there, if they need Bibles and they're in any of those countries that we work in, yeah, just go to eemeurope.org and reach out, ask ask them. That I mean, there's fantastic. an order; they can order right online. Just it works like Amazon, wow. and if it's a bulk order. You know, it just depends on, you know, the one-offs we do. We'll do the one or twos, but, you know, if we're going to go into a print project, it's got to be 10000 plus, you know, for us to really go into a big print project. But, okay, but, yeah. I'm so glad we didn't forget to mention that because that's, that's a really big deal for all of our missionaries who are serving in Europe yeah. and in those countries that you guys... Yeah. And they're not... So. And we've got Bibles. We've got children's Bibles. We've got teen Bibles. So it covers the wow. gamut. They can go and see all the inventory and see uh, see the products that we offer. Yeah. So, Yeah. yeah. Oh, thank you for mentioning that. Well, and then to transition, I don't know how to do a smooth transition from this, but I would love to just jump over, let's just say then, into some of your journey. I know we all deal with grief and loss in life, but the the loss that you dealt with is one of the biggest ones that you can deal with in life. And you did it while serving in ministry. And so your your wife, Wendy, her her passing wasn't sudden. You had mentioned to me it went on for a while. When did her battle begin? And her battle, and we could say your battle as well. Yeah. So for those that are listening, my wife passed away. She she battled ALS, Lou Gehrig's disease, as it's commonly known, the scientific amyotrophic lateral sclerosis. So it's interesting. ALS is one of those diseases, Stephanie, that you have to rule everything else out before you can diagnose. So symptoms happen for a long time until you finally get a diagnosis. And uh, so we, we live here in the Nashville area. So uh, we had actually moved here in October of 18. And when we moved here, she was having symptoms. She, she was having symptoms in her, in her left leg. We didn't know what was going on. Many trips to Vanderbilt, they couldn't diagnose. So finally, so I mean, symptoms started in 2018 
finally, June the 5th of 2020, after um, a week-long trip up to Mayo in Rochester and them even not being able to diagnose right away and coming back and them thinking it might have been a, a rare blood disorder and she had to go through and have bone marrow biopsy. I mean, there was a point in time I, I'd say to people, man, if you're about to have a test run of any kind and you want to know what it's like, just ask Wendy because she's been through it. Uh, she had, I mean, bless her heart, she went through a lot. But finally on January or on June the 5th of 2020, they diagnosed ALS. And so, but by the time they diagnosed it, I mean, she was, I mean, she couldn't walk on her own. She couldn't, I mean, there was just a lot. Her left hand wasn't working well. She couldn't write, you know, she couldn't really do anything with her left hand. She couldn't operate a fork or, you know, she couldn't cut her own meat, you know, just so she was well into it. So they told us she would have on the short end five years, on the long end, 25 years. <laughs> kind of, oh after we had, after we had hugged and cried and you know you go through all the process of of that and because we knew we had heard ALS we'd heard ALS so this was just a definitive of it we we had already been praying about it for about a year and a half to two years you know I looked at her and I jokingly said well uh when I sure hope you don't live 25 years because I'm not planning to be here that long so I think it would be important for me to be around while you're here and she kind of laughed. She goes, yeah, I'm hoping not that long either. And she went home very peacefully on January the 9th of, of this year of 23. But it was a, so it was a long battle in some respects, but a, a quick battle, you know, by others. I mean, it was, um, it's very debilitating for those that don't know. You basically become a prisoner in your own body. Her mind stayed sharp. Um, so she knew exactly what was going on. So those were some of the challenges for her is, you know, she did the worst thing possible for anybody to do when she was diagnosed or even beforehand, before officially diagnosed, but thinking it was ALS. She got out there and Googled, how do people die with ALS? And I was like, oh, wow. don't do that. Don't do that. Because you get the point zero 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 one. And I told her, I said, no, I, I made a number of promises to her. When she was diagnosed, and I said, number one, I held up my ring finger. I said, you're stuck with me. I'm not going anywhere. Number two, you're not going to suffer. Not on my watch. I mean, I'll figure it out, and we'll, we'll figure out how to do this, but you will not suffer. And and then number three, I just, I, I told her that, oh, she had a real, she had a real fear of bed sores. It's kind of interesting. And again, I told her, I said, no, I'll figure that out. I mean, if nurses know how to do that i can i can learn so and i kept all three of those promises um she she she, she struggled at the end but never never suffered hospice is wonderful man i'm a huge advocate of hospice hospice came in and uh, and really helped out and of course an als patient can get hospice really from day one but we waited for a while. I mean, they weren't much help with caregiving, so the caregiving all fell on me. It was, and it's 24-7, you know, she, you had to lift her and carry her, put her in bed, take her to the bathroom, you know, I mean, because she's just, she's dead weight. I mean, she can't do anything. But for the last five months, she couldn't, she didn't eat, she couldn't swallow anything. She didn't really talk, I mean, like talk, converse, she could she could get out a few words, 
probably in maybe in January before she died in January, but really for about the last five, six months, she couldn't talk at all. So it, you know, it's, I have a friend of mine who is a grief counselor in Nashville and I've told this story. So in February after, after she passed, I get this text message from him. He says, Hey buddy, hadn't seen you in a while. Let's, let's get together for lunch. And I went, "Mm -hmm. yeah, I know what you want, but that's okay. So I, we go to lunch and we get to lunch and I said, Hey, listen, first, right off the bat, I'm buying lunch because lunch is going to be cheaper than your rate for this session. He goes, no, 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 no. I'm, I said, no, I, I appreciate it. I love you, and I appreciate you checking up on me. He said, well, I just want to see how you're doing. I said, no, it's good. So when we go through the lunch, and sure enough, it's a session. And he gets to the end, and he said, dude, you're doing good. And I said, okay, well, thank you. What does that mean? He said, no, I mean, you're you're presenting like a guy whose wife died two years ago. And I said, how much do you know about ALS? And he said, not much. So I took him through the journey. At the end, he looked at me and he said, you are a guy whose wife died two years ago. Wow, I had no idea. And I said, so you've never counseled anybody whose spouse died of ALS? He said, no. And so it is, it's, it's just a very, very different journey. I mean, you say goodbye a long time. I mean, when she passed, when she took her last breath on the 9th of January, I did not shed a tear. I mean, I just thanked God. I was like, oh, thank you. Get her. But she knew where she was going. And so yeah. she journeyed it with great peace as well. Now, she didn't want to leave this earth. I mean, there were things that, I mean, she always dreamed of being a grandmother, and she never got to do that. She wanted to be around for our three kids and see them get married, which she didn't get to see any of that. If they ever get married, I don't know. If they're listening, hurry up, get married. I need some grandkids. <laughs> But but she knew where she was going, so she handled it with such grace and peace and and really, Stephanie, with a contentment to let go, yeah. you know? I think if COVID taught us anything, well, I don't know if it taught us, it exposed something. It exposed the fact that, A, everyone in this country, I won't speak for other countries, but everyone in this country is scared to death of death including those of us who call ourselves disciples of Jesus Christ. Mm. I mean, terrified. I was just amazed at the fear. And I'm thinking, what are you afraid of? I mean, we all have an end date. That is one thing that is going to happen to all of us. And if we believe that we are in eternity, how many of us remember our birth? Well, that was a fairly traumatic experience. I mean, if you ever... You know, women go through it. It's painful. Kids coming out, he's screaming, she's screaming, you know. But none of us remember that. Well, that's one scene in this journey of eternity. Well, why am I afraid of this one? Mm -hmm. It's just a scene. And I'm headed to absolute ecstasy. I mean, Wendy right now is at peace. I had somebody come up afterwards, after, you know, because she journeyed this for a while and People would come up and see me. Hey, how's Wendy doing? I haven't seen you. And so after she passed, a guy I hadn't seen in a while came up. And he said, oh, man, Dirk, it's good to see you. How's Wendy doing? And I wasn't thinking, Stephanie. I just went, oh, she's great. He said, really? I said, oh, better than you or I. Best she's ever been. And he went, what? And I said, oh, dude, she died. She passed January the 9th. And he went, Oh, I didn't know. But I mean, but I was being truthful. 
She's yeah. great. She's fantastic. And if we know where we're going, and we got, we got work to do. So let's yeah, do it. Well, and Derek, I appreciate what you're saying, too, because you're not being... This isn't a false positivity. I know because we've had this conversation now. Uh, this is the second time we've really gotten to talk about this, and I don't ever sense a false positivity from you. I sense a sincerity. You had that chance to do that long goodbye, which I think that I mean, you worked through grief for sure, but then it's that perspective, like you said, of knowing that this isn't the end. And as you pointed out, culturally, I think for people in the North American space or an American sense, there is that fear of death. But I... I think for a lot of us who have signed up to become missionaries, that is something we've looked in the face. It doesn't mean that we are braver or better or we don't ever get afraid of things. But I think for most people who sign up to do missions work, it's kind of like somebody who signs up, I think, to join uh, the armed services. There are certain occupations, a nurse in COVID or a doctor in COVID, you look and you stare it in the face and you say, hey, there is... Number one, this is worth it. And as a Christian, there is a life beyond this. And it gives you um, a hope and it gives you a courage that you could not have otherwise, I don't think. And so I really appreciate yeah. your perspective with that. Now, Dirk, this is where you're at now and, and you shared that you got to that point by the end of the journey. What was that like for you, though, earlier on in Wendy's journey? What were some of the ways that you most struggled then, maybe in your faith or in your family or how that impacted your ministry work? Oh, yeah. You know, I think the one thing I learned through this, and, and I've had trials in my life. We all we all do. If we live this yeah. life, we're going to have trials. I mean, like I said at the beginning, that's why Jesus said, hey, in this life, you're going to have struggles. Mm -hmm. But he didn't stop there. He reminds us, hey, I've overcome the world. So just trust me. But I've always had a very active prayer life. And when I say that, I mean, I have, I would describe my prayer life, and I tell people it's kind of like the Tevye prayer life from Fiddler on the Roof. I just walk around talking to him. People think I'm talking to myself, and I mean, I've had people say, you talking to somebody? No, I'm having a private conversation. You're, in, you're, you're intruding. Can you back up, please? But, I mean, we just talk. And, and I'm, I'm very honest with God because he knows anyway. And so, trust me, when the diagnosis happened, God and I had some words. I mean, we had some serious conversations. And, you know, walking my 100-pound German Shepherd for three miles or out in, the, out in my backyard looking up and just, you know, screaming at him. And, you know, because there were a lot, of, you have lots of questions, you know. And, of course, the number one question people want to ask, which I never really did, I guess because I'd process it. I'm, I buried my mom at 66. She had ovarian cancer, and I was her caregiver through through her end. Uh, I mean, I've had I've had a lot of my, my my dad, you know, passed at 81. I was kind of there with him. So, I mean, I've buried a lot of people in my life, but I know that was just the earthly bodies that were buried. I escorted them on to the next part of eternity, and so I know that God can handle it. And so I, I, the one question I never asked was why. You know, people would come up and they would, they would talk about Wendy and they'd say, oh, Wendy was such an upbeat person. She was so positive. You know, why? Why would God? Why? Why God? Why? Wrong question. Why not? Why not, Wendy? I mean, why, why should we be exempt? But, but the opportunity, and Wendy knew this, she and I both knew it. So when she was diagnosed, we looked at each other 
And we knew, okay, this is a death sentence. With ALS, it's not like there's a cure. It's not like cancer to where there's a treatment coming up and, you know, there's hope from this earthly perspective. There's no hope of her living here on earth. So we looked at each other and said, okay, we got one shot at this. And either we believe what we say we believe or we don't. And so it was a daily struggle. I will tell you, it was a daily struggle to wake up and and I would. I would wake up every morning and just say, okay, God, you and me, I can't do this by myself. There is no way I can do this. Because I'm, I don't require a lot of sleep, but I mean, it was, I mean, I was up all night long. I mean, I'm having to get up and work and I'm having to run this ministry at the same time and I'm going to keep everything going. COVID helped us out because COVID lockdowns happened, which required me to stay home. I couldn't go out. So that was kind of an answer to prayer. And uh, we're people I needed to go see face to face, they weren't going to see you face to face and I could zoom or I could FaceTime with them, you know, and they, they accepted that they, they wouldn't want anything else. So it gave me the opportunity and the availability to be home with her and care for her because it was a 24 hour job to take care of her, you know, special foods and when she would eat, you know, having to grind it up and, you know, so she wouldn't choke. And so areas that I struggled like anybody would, I mean, I'm human and I got angry. I, you know, there was the, there was the disbelief, like, is this really happening? You know, what in the heck, you know, but I never, ever, I don't know. I never felt the, woe is me? Because I'm talking to an audience right now that guaranteed there are people who's, who have buried kids, who have buried spouses, who have buried parents, who have you know, dealt with all kinds of things. So we all go through it. It's not the if it happens, it's the when. And that's the challenge is if I believe what I say I believe, then my foundation is very different. And it doesn't mean that I like it and I go, ooh, that was fun. Let's do that again. But it does mean that I handle this in a different way. And that I say, okay, this is life. This is not home. But I have an opportunity to glorify God. And the way I'm going to glorify God is I'm going to take care of that woman right there. And I'm going to make sure that she's provided for. And she makes this transition with what help I can provide as peacefully and easily as she can. And with as much grace and as much dignity and all of those things that that go into that, which we would want. I mean, it's the ultimate of love your neighbor as you would love yourself. You know, what would I want for me? So I'm going to do that for her. But yeah, the struggles were time. I mean, God blessed me. I'm, I'm one of those weird people that, well, and I, I say that, I can't say this anymore because it's changing, Stephanie. I used to be one of these people that only required about four or five hours of sleep. It's kind of bizarre. After her passing, I'm now sleeping at least six Sometimes seven. First night I slept seven hours, I thought, what in the world? Am I sick? You know, something's going on here. But, you know, it's, and people that have gone through it, they know you go through all those stages of grief and you're going to go in and out of them, you know, multiple times. Mm -hmm. But it's as you process it. And I think what helps is recognizing that God's got you. He's carrying you through this. And I would encourage people not to have the woe is me. Why me? I mean, that's just, you know, to me, we have to heal. I can help people through my scars. Okay. We hear that and we say that, 
Okay, well, and I think that's right. But think about what that means. That means the scar is healed up. It still shows that there's a scar there, but it's healed up. And I've used this analogy, you know, guys will be guys, you know, it'd be like, be like a bunch of guys being in the locker room and, you know, they're changing the guy sees a scar on a guy's leg and, and everybody goes, Oh, dude, where'd you get that? And he tells the story, you know, I got this, you know, such and such and everything. Oh, well, then it starts the one upmanship, you know, Oh, well, you ought to see this one, you know, and got, you know, and he tells a story. Well, as everybody goes through, and then there's a guy that in there that pulls his pant leg up and he's got this oozing, gangrenous, nasty, open sore. And everybody's like, Oh my gosh, dude, what the heck? What? What happened? Well, and he tells a story. How long ago did that happen? Oh, about 15 years ago. I just keep picking at it to make sure it, you know, I keep remembering it. We would immediately rush him to the hospital, in, in which we wouldn't have to because he would have gone septic you know, before then. I mean, he'd have all kinds. But how many of us emotionally do that? I stay wounded. I stay wounded. I'm identified by my wound. One term I hate is widower. I, somebody goes, oh, you're a widower. No, I'm not. I'm a believer in Jesus. My wife has passed, but I'm not a widower. I'm not going to be, I don't want a label on me that says, oh, you need to behave in a certain way that culture says you need to behave. I'm going to behave in the way that Jesus tells me to behave. And that is, I'm going to worship him regardless of my earthly circumstances. I mean, that's his will for my life. His will for my life is that I glorify him regardless of my earthly circumstances. And that's what I'm going to prayerfully strive to do. Now, am I going to do it perfectly? Oh, heck no. Am I going to fail? Yep, I will. Um, am I going to let him down? Yep, but I'm going, to, I'm going to put my full weight down on him and keep going. But I think too often people like to be wounded. And they love the attention that comes from that. And I get it. We all have wounds. I mean, we all have scars. But the only way we help each other is when that is healed up, then I can say, yeah, me too. I've been there. Let me tell, but let me tell you how to get out of that. Let me, let me tell you how to get from point A to point B and then from point B to point C. Because we all have to keep moving. But so many of us are still back at point A. And we're trying to tell somebody how to get to point C when we're not there. Like, well, how are you going to tell somebody to get where you're not? I mean, that well, doesn't make any said, sense. We all want to get to the point where we're able to share our story so that they help somebody else. We want our pain to produce something. And exactly. I love what you mentioned earlier, Dirk, uh, the way that you fought your battle, the way that you walked through it. And I think each one of us is called to walk through our battles and our struggles in a different way, in a unique way. So some of what you're saying is going to resonate with people who are listening. And then there might be other people who they would resonate with pieces of another person's story. Because for some of us, it's a longer grieving process. For some of us, it's more wrestling with God. Uh, we have a lot of our listeners who really press into faith and healing and miracles. And so they might feel led to press really strong into that as well. And as in your story, the way that you are led is to love and not to accept in an unhealthy way, but to accept that this was the journey that God was leading you through. Not that he sent it, but he was giving you the grace to no. lead it through. And he was giving you the grace to walk it out in a beautiful way so you could love Wendy well through those last few years of her life. And I think it's so important when we listen to each other's stories too, to not 
judge each person's journey and go, well, I think you should have done it this way. I think you've done it this way. Now, each one of us have a responsibility to press into God and say, how are you leading me to walk through this well? And there are things that we all can do well, as you mentioned, praying and pressing in and wrestling with God. And then there are different ways that are unique that he asks us to walk through. And we have to figure that out, what that is for ourselves. Absolutely. And everybody's grief is different, Stephanie. It I is. mean, you know, my wife had a four or five year journey. I got to say goodbye. Man, mm-hmm. somebody talks to me about their, you know, they said, they said goodbye to their wife in the morning and then she died. That's yeah. totally different. That's it. I, I don't know that journey. I, I haven't, I haven't done that one. Bearing a child. I pray to God. I mean, I haven't done that. I don't, that's a different journey, you know, so grief comes in lots of different shapes and sizes. And so therefore our journeys are going to be different, but I think in all of it, we have to hang on to God and no question and just, and humble ourselves and recognize I can't do this on my own. I can't do this because if it's up to me, I'm going to fail. So God, I'm giving this over to you. I am going to look for your power in this. And that will happen. I, I stopped people when people would come up to me and say, man, Dirk, I just wish there was more than I could do than just pray for you and Wendy. And I go, whoa, 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 stop right there. Strike that from your vocabulary. Don't say just pray. Because I will tell you, Stephanie, very mystically, we felt, I felt the power of those prayers. And felt that power sustaining us. I mean, it it carried us through. If I look back and people say, man, how did you do that? My answer is, I didn't do it because I have no idea. I mean, God did it. God carried me through. You know, I, Wendy said right off the bat when she was diagnosed, she said, okay, you know and I know who's won this war. The war's won. So we cannot allow Satan to win this battle. And I said, yep, I agree. She said, so your work with EEM cannot take a dip. It can't change. You have to keep on going. Well, I mean, I'm traveling like crazy at the time. And I said, when I can't do that. I said, I'm going to have to stay here and take care of you. There's going to come a time when, I mean, you're going to need 24-hour care seven days a week. I said, I, I can't do that. Well, I'd been in the business world and consulting. I mean, I had a short list of people. I thought, all right, I'm going to just call people and I'll leave EEM and I'll go back in business and I'll consult from home and, and I'll be able to care for her. And, and COVID hit and shut everything down and allowed me to stay home with her and do continue with EEM. So uh, again, yes, everybody's journey is different and you know, we don't judge, we should help. I mean, yeah. if we do anything, those of us have been through it need to reach out to people and say, first off, how you doing? How are you doing? Um, don't forget to ask that. And then listen, just listen, listen to their journey and help them move from A to B to C so that they don't stay in that wounded. I'm just, you know, cause when you stay there too long, I mean, that doesn't mean you're not going to come back and forth. There are going to be weird things. And this way grief does. You can't, there are weird things that happen to you. You see something that they wrote. You see their handwriting if it's identifiable. You hear a song that, you know, meant something. You're going to get whisked back into grief. And the best thing I can tell people is sit in it. So I told my kids, 
Just sit in it. Don't push it off. Don't ignore it. It's grief. Sit in it. Just just sit in it and let it in, envelop you and then move through it. But acknowledge it and talk to each other. I mean, we did that. I mean, it's it's got to be an open conversation. You got to say, man, I had a rough day today. You know, such and such happened. And man, it just really was, was tough. And that's been interesting. My rough days were during it. Mm. It was weird. When she passed, it was like breath of fresh air. I mean, I told people right away, oh, I'm way better now than I was when she was going through it. Because I'm helpless trying to help somebody that I can't do anything. Now, for my kids, it's been different for them. You know, and again, so even though we all three, to your point, we all three went through the same sickness, my journey and their journey is very different. I mean, very different. Because she wasn't my mom. She was my wife. It's their mom. It's the only mom they're ever going to have. You're not going to have another mom, you know. That's that's the mom that, you know, when you've had her for, you know, my daughter's 31, my boys are 28, you know, when you've had her that long. And, and she was a big personality too. So um, so their journey is different. Mm-hmm. But all I can do is love them and mm-hmm. talk to them and help them. But, yeah, they, they can't judge my journey. I can't judge their journey. We just and, have and to. You brought up this beautiful question earlier that I think is a question that we can all ask ourselves, and that is, how can I glorify God through this? And we all can glorify God in some common ways, and He's calling us all to glorify Him in some unique ways too. So, how can I do the best with my life in this situation to glorify God? I mean, the journey that we've walked through for the past twenty-one years is having a child with special needs. That same thing, yeah. you never expect that's going to happen. And there have been so many interesting ways. I, I walked out in different, the journey in different ways in different seasons of life, you know, pressed into certain ways and tried this and tried that and finally just settled in as I got older and said, Lord, how can I glorify you? To your point, what is, what is the best way I can love her well? I can live well. I can love you yes. well. And yes. that is a very personal journey, of, of course, always in line with Scripture. Yes. Uh, always in communication with God, but it does. It, it can even shift and change. The journey can even look different with the same person. So Because they change. They, in, they do. In your situation, I mean, her needs are going to change, and her situation is going to change. So you've got to adjust, you know? Absolutely. But I think that's, but that's it. How do I glorify God? How do I, how do I look different? Then the world. Yeah. And, well, and you're the first question. How do I love her? How do I love her the way you would love her, God? Because I don't, I don't know how. I don't, mm-hmm. I don't know how to do this. You got to help me do this. And then, yeah, how do I glorify? How do I, how do I make people look and say, man, I want what she's got. I mean, how are they doing this journey like that? Yeah, and we're looking to walk through it vulnerably and not pretend everything's okay. All the time, but on the same token, not as a victim. I love what you said earlier because it's the same question I have said so many times, and it's instead of why, why not? I say that same thing. I think sometimes for those of us listening who uh, who are Americans, we can get the sense of entitlement. Or even when I was younger, Uh. I remember when I was younger, I felt like my good behavior entitled me to just experience every good thing in life and no difficulties. Even though scripture is so obvious about like tough stuff's happening. Be ready. I mean, James makes it very clear. 
Yep. But there is this sense of entitlement I think we can have within an American culture that other cultures do not have. And so I started to ask myself that many times, you know, why not? I, all these things are happening left and right, and they have not happened to me. And so I live from a place of gratefulness. Doesn't mean it's never hard. Doesn't mean there aren't really yeah. difficult days. But I'm thankful for all the things I haven't had to walk through. And that, I think, can sometimes take away some of the sting of the really hard things that we do have to walk through in life. And Dirk, what would you, we said a lot of things, I know, so far in this conversation, but what would be a few closing words that you would leave with missionaries who are dealing with some deep loss or grief right now? Yeah, I, I would say lean into God. Acknowledge it. Don't, don't shove it away. Okay, I think that's so many of us. We think, okay, if I'm if I'm a believer, I have to act like everything's wonderful, and I got to be joyful, and I can be happy. And so when people say, you know, how you doing? You go, I'm great. And they're like, that's weird. How are you great when people know what you're going through? Acknowledge it. I'm struggling. I'm struggling. Today's a, a tough day, but I'm but God's sustaining me. So first thing is be honest. I mean, we have to be honest and real, and and humble ourselves. I think that that. Maybe that comes the other way around. I humble myself, then I can be honest and real. And really talk to God. And like you said, ask Him those questions. Ask Him, how do I do this, God? I can't do this on my own. How do I glorify you in this? He will answer those prayers. He will. When it's about glorifying Him and not glorifying me, just sit back. He's going to answer those prayers. And then look for those. Believe. Believe that He will. So look expectantly for those answers, whether it's in people, whether it's in resources, whether it's in whatever may come, that will sustain you. But I mean every day. And it's and this is just for all of us. I don't care if you're going through stuff. And I do this every the first thing I do. I open my eyes in the morning. I go, okay, God, you woke me up. I can't do this on my own. Where are we going? Let's do this together. So those would be my pieces of and stay in God's word. Stay in his word. I mean, yes, in the darkest times, the Psalms were fantastic. I mean, I read I read through Psalms I don't know how many times. But just that sense of comfort and reminding. And, and then it causes me to look back and see where God has sustained me in other things. So why is he going to not do it now? Why is he going to? He's not going to stop now. Now, does that mean this is fun and I enjoy this and it's not painful? No. Again, I'm real. I'm going to be real about this. It's not what I wanted. It's not the journey that I ever saw happening. But you know what? I can look back and God is good. Oh, man, is he good. The gifts and the blessings that came through that. And again, my story is different than anybody else's story because it's my story. It, it's, it's going to be different. So I can't, uh, you know, I can't speak into somebody else's journey specifically. But that would be the overarching you know, underlying just the generic that, that we all yeah. have to do in our lives. Absolutely. And I would just add to that for missionaries to reach out for help. And I know for a lot of missionaries, they don't realize that that help exists. You know, my during my 10 years living overseas, I did not know that there are counselors who work specifically with missionaries. There are retreat places where you can go to for several weeks if you're working through trauma. Yes. There are Christian um, coaches who work with missionaries. There are so many organizations out there 
where their heart and their desire is to help missionaries be healthy and stay on the field. So for anybody listening, if you are walking through something like that and you need a resource, I would encourage you send us an email at care@modernday.org, And we're also always posting about resources. We have a weekly um, newsletter that goes out where we post resources to things like this as well, because we want missionaries to be able to stay healthy and do what they do well. And sometimes like with you and your conversation with Wendy, sometimes God gives you the grace to keep going. Sometimes a missionary needs to tap out for a little bit, take a break and invest into themselves. Sometimes there's a life shift. It's different for each person, but getting help I think is a key piece as well. And figuring out again, what is the way that God is calling you to glorify him? And that might be taking care of yourself for a season or getting help for your kids or whatever that might be look look like. And then Dirk, I don't, we, you said I could say this, so I'm going to bring it up. There is a, a little hopeful, fun part of your story that I think people might enjoy hearing. When I was asking you, what's one thing the Lord is speaking to you right now? You said, well, actually, there's something fun. <laughs> so I just want to invite you to share a piece of that if you'd like to. Yeah, you were funny. There's a lot of people that you- saw my Instagram as you did. And you said, yeah, so tell me about this person on Instagram. Yeah, it's God is funny. He's a funny guy. I had said, you know, this was one of the things that was interesting. Wendy had said to me about a year into her journey, hey, listen, you need to promise me that you're going to get remarried. And I said, no, I can't make that promise. I'm not going to make, I'm not going to make that promise. And so that conversation went on for a while until finally I just told her, I said, listen, the reason I can't is because that's moving God out of the way. That's me putting myself in God's place. I'm going to do this. I'm going to keep journeying with God every day. And if God provides a bright light on the road to Damascus experience for me and says, hey, this person and her journey and story and you and your journey and story, are they can glorify me better together than separately then maybe I'll listen. And that seemed to pacify her. Well, so I did. I prayed. And I prayed. But I had said, no, I'm not I'm not going to get in another relationship. And I'll tell you, no dating apps, nothing like that. And God did. It was a bright light on the road to Damascus experience. And I reconnected with a beautiful, beautiful woman inside and out. She is just deeply, deeply spiritual and fun. I mean, just loves life. She's had challenges in her life, too, and has been open and honest about that, not pushing it back. But she's got a smile on her face and is a half full glass of water because she knows the Lord that she serves. Um, So, yeah, so we don't know where things are going, but we are enjoying where we are. And we we did. You saw pictures. We I was in Europe for work and then tacked on, which is not characteristic of me, but tacked on some vacation time. And she joined me and. We spent six days or so in the Cotswolds and then three days in London. And and is um, I, I tell people she is the most incredible, beautiful, unexpected gift from God that I never saw coming and, and would have said no to. And the interesting thing is she said the same thing. In fact, and I shared this with you, the funny thing that I tell people is when I first asked her, we were texting, and I just got, t- I hate texting, I got tired of it. And I just said to her, I said, I want to call you. Let me call you. And I got one text back. Nope. Because <laughs> she said, because she said, we're not doing that. We're not. We're just friends. We're just friends. I said, well, friends talk on the phone. But we both laugh about that now. 
But yeah. so we don't know where uh, we're we're praying about it, and she she is a beautiful lady, and, and just a an absolute she she makes me better. Which and, and I tell people the most important thing we just really really like each other. I mean we are really good friends. She's brilliant, and and she does she she makes me better. So it's beautiful. Yeah, I'm, and I appreciate you I'm sharing purple. that too. Yeah, it's just I think when you're in the midst of those really difficult seasons, it can be hard to even imagine a bright light on the other side or hope. And yet we serve this unexpected, surprising God. I think sometimes the battles and journeys we go through can be way longer than we ever could have imagined. But then God's surprises can also be just as unexpected and brilliant yeah. and wonderful as well. And yeah. so it's been it's been fun seeing how God is doing a new thing in your life as well. So I love ending with that note of hope. And again, everybody's hope and surprise looks a little different and how That's God right. chooses That's to right. intervene. But yeah, just so happy for you and uh, well, how he's and sometimes, your life right now. And sometimes how you don't expect it, you know, and maybe oh, the very yeah. way you think it's not going to be this. But uh, How many times do we say to God, okay, anything but this, I'm not doing this. And he's like, well... Yeah. That's exactly right. He's like, really? You think? And and then this amazing person comes along to where you're like, and I've said this, I'm at the point now where, I mean, not that it's, not that it's a challenge because I just, I want to be with her, but it almost feels like if I weren't, I'd be disobedient with how obvious this is God. You know, yeah. if your listeners, I, I mean, I, if I had the time to share the whole story, it's, it's, it's fun, but yeah. Well, and I got to hear it beforehand, and it is a really fun story. I mean, God made it about as clear as he possibly could for the two of you. So I I love that. Dirk, thanks so much for coming on today and just sharing a bit of your story. I really feel that this will encourage people who have, who have walked through or who are walking through some difficult things today. Give them some hope, give them some tools, some things that they can put into practice in their life, and then just more than anything, inspire them. That Remind them that we serve a good God who's looking out for mm. us. Yes, and, we do. And uh, never leaves us or forsakes us. So Amen. thanks, Dirk. Amen. Thank you, Stephanie. Thanks yes. for the time. Yes, and, and for everybody else, we just look forward to seeing you on our next episode. All right, I'm going to hit stop there. And then we'll wait.